0: As, as Emery mentioned, eventually uh, this is the last Sunday that we're going to be in Revelation, and I'm, I'm really excited about uh, about that, and uh, have been grateful for where we've come. Uh, just a couple weeks ago it was actually the day before Lucas and Emily's wedding. We're helping them get set up, and I was talking with a few others about a show that I used to watch called Extreme Makeover: Home Edition. Has anyone else ever seen that show? That's yeah, great, and it seems like a great concept because they'll go in this team of renovators and they'll go to a a family, usually a family in need, and they will um, <clears throat> make and create or renovate this dream home for them. And then eventually it culminates in the move that bus moment and the family can see this dream home for the first time. But reports start to trickle in after that, sometimes because the, the value of the property is so much more after this makeover that they have a hard time paying the tax bills to keep the dream home. <clears throat> doesn't always turn out to be quite the gift that they might think of at the time. And I mentioned, I always thought that you had to be really careful when you had these interviews. The family would be interviewed by those who uh, would do this renovation and they'd ask them about some of the things they liked. You have to be very careful what you mentioned. Because all of a sudden, if you mentioned something in passing, they go overboard. So if you're a kid, you'd say, well, I kind of like football. And you come back into this extreme makeover house, and the whole floor is a football field. And your bunk bed is in the shape of goalposts, And there's a football-shaped shape, uh, lamp hanging from the ceiling. they go crazy with these theme rooms. I'm like, what about just like a normal room for a kid? Could we do that? I guess it doesn't make good TV. But what, what about you? What do you think of when you think about your dream home? Karen and I, we, we really appreciate it and still do appreciate the house we were able to buy when we moved to Steinbeck over three years ago now. Crazy to think about. And just a couple months back, we actually found that list on Karen's phone of, of what we had listed as needs, wants, and dreams with our new house. And we had a few of those things checked off in every category, but none of them completely. So maybe we could say that we don't still ha- don't have our dream home. In your dream home, maybe you're living in it, or maybe you're envisioning it, Maybe you're planning to to build it or to renovate towards it. We all have these ideas of what that dream home looks like. And as we finally get to the end of Revelation, we know that dream home is at the front of our minds and the front of our thoughts. Because we are finally at the end of this book, also at the end of human history. One of the things that I wanted to to really um, explain to all of us is how Revelation is not just a book about the future, it's very present minded. And yet, in Revelation 21 and 22, it is at the end. It is all about the future. Jesus has returned. He has conquered all things and all people opposed to him, including Satan and the beasts. He's thrown them in the lake of fire. He has judged now all people righteously from that great white throne. And all that is left is the very end. Our eternal destiny, or as I would put it, our eternal dream home. And this is our hope. We've gone through some passages that have been hard and difficult and complicated and confusing and some hopeful, but this is our greatest hope. As we unpack it together in those last two chapters of Revelation, let's pray once more before we go any further. Would you bow your head with me? Jesus, uh, this entire book has been the revelation of you, of who you are, of what you've done, of what you are doing, and what you will do. And God, all of these things, no matter if it's past, present, or future, we know reveal the truth. Something we can grab onto, something we can lean on in the hardest times. And God, the picture and the promise that you give us at the end is worth every part of our endurance and our faith. So God, I pray that you would make this picture clear for us, just as you made it clear for John. To that end, we pray and we ask you to be the spirit that guides us into your truth. Amen. So as I did mention, we'll be in in Revelation 21 and 22, and you can open your Bibles there. I will have a few other passages I'll refer to, but especially today, I'll I'll put those up on the screen for you so you can stay camped out in the end of Revelation. And we can learn about what this book tells us, or or what Jesus showed to John about our, our eternal dream home. And one of the things we learned at the outset is that our dream home is not necessarily brand new. In fact, it's better thought of or understood as the greatest renovation. Look at the way it's described at the very beginning of Revelation 21 in verses one and then later verse five. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Skipping down to verse five. And then he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all Things new. Now, one commentary I read, I think, made the important distinction that, that the one seated on the throne doesn't say, I'm making all new things. These things are brand new. You've never seen them before. You've never experienced them before. No, he doesn't say all new things. He says, I am making all things new. All things new. Heaven and earth are now renewed. They're remade. They're recreated. They are renovated to be that perfect heaven, that perfect earth just as they were created in the first place before, let's be honest, we all messed it up. So this vision of our eternal dream home is not something that's completely unrelated to our experience so far. It is to go back to the Garden of Eden, is to go back to creation being finally put back together the way that it was always intended to be. And so it is is faithful to say that creation is in focus at the very beginning and also the very end of Scripture. There's a lot of Garden of Eden imagery here, and we see that particularly in Revelation 22. I'm going to read for you the first few verses, and then we'll highlight some of the ways in which we see the Garden of Eden imagery at play. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. So, what do we see in this new heaven and new earth, this new Jerusalem? We see that there is a river flowing right through the middle of the city in the exact way that there was a river flowing through the Garden of Eden. And we know that this is, is, is bringing us back to Eden because on either side of that river is the tree of life. That same tree of life that, that Adam and Eve had access to in the Garden of Eden, but that they were removed from upon the fall and sin entering the world, <clears throat> the world. And lastly, we know that there is healing because in verse 3 we read that no longer will anything be accursed. There was a reversal of the curse that cast Adam and Eve and everyone else from the Garden of Eden. So this is the new Eden, the new creation. God now, in this picture, has fully and completely remade all that we had broken through our fall, our sin, and our shame. It is a re-creation. This should not be a complete surprise, because throughout Scripture, creation has also been part of, of all of us waiting for this redemption. You can go to Paul and he expl- um, explains it really well in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. And as I read, I want you to, to listen for all the times that creation takes the forefront in Paul's writing about this future hope. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So Paul is reminding us of this picture in Revelation that all of creation has been broken, with the fall, and and, and broken with the sin that humanity ushered into the world. And it is all of creation along with us that awaits this greatest renovation to be remade, to be redeemed, to be recreated the way God had always intended it to be. We find ourselves back in Eden, which means that our eternal hope and our eternal dream home is much more physical than we often imagine it will be. Sometimes I I still like singing these old hymns, but sometimes I think that there's some theology in these old hymns that just isn't always the most biblical, and this is one of them. So a hymn I enjoy will be, I'll Fly Away. It's a good one, right? I'll fly away, O glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Which gives us this picture that when we breathe our last breath here on earth, that our soul leaves our physical body and this physical earth behind and will fly away to heaven to spiritually be with God forever there. And there is an element of truth to this. Yes, we've, we've read even in Revelation how when we die, we are present with the Lord. We're invited to be with Jesus, to reign with him. And yet Revelation is also teaching us that that is only a temporary place to be that even those of us who die now to go to be with Christ are still waiting his return, are still awaiting our eternal dream home, which is not just a spiritual escape, but is now heaven and earth come together, recreated and redeemed, and we will have spiritual and resurrected bodies to live on this recreated earth. So we will have a body. We will be in a creation. That is the nature of our eternal destiny. Our eternal dream home is this resurrected and imperishable body in a renewed creation. Once again, I think it's helpful to go to Paul to get some more details. In 1 Corinthians 15, he talks a lot about this idea of the resurrection and our resurrected bodies. And I'll read for you verses 42 to 44. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So when we have our eternal dream home, we will have a resurrected body that will be related to our experience now, just as new creation will be related to the creation of today, but it will be similar yet different similar, yet perfect, glorified, imperishable, powerful. And the greatest example we have of this is Jesus' own experience after his resurrection, because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection that we long for and await for. So what was Jesus' resurrected body like? Well, it was physical. He could walk and talk. Um, his, His disciples could touch his his hands and his side to feel his scars. He could eat food and break bread with them. All of that was true. The same, similar, yet different. Jesus could also disguise his appearance at any moment. He could uh, also teleport into the middle of a locked room and then vanish again from sight. Um, Okay, well, that's new. (laughs) I haven't seen that before. And that gives us a glimpse. I'm not going to try to to be too, we can't get too specific with it, but we know that our resurrected bodies will be much the same. God is making all things new, recreation, renewed bodies. That is our eternal dream home, the greatest renovation. But what is the nature of our dream home then, beyond just the fact that it is renovated to be perfect, Well, before we understand about our eternal dream home, we need to realize that we share it. It's not just our dream home, it's God's dream home too. Have you asked yourself, what does God's dream home look like? This is what blows my mind over and over again in Scripture. Because he tells us, Revelation tells us, that God's dream home is dwelling with his people. God's dream. On his list of, okay, dream home list, this is what I need, this is what I want, this is what I'm dreaming of. The highest priority of his dream is to be with you and me, is to be with his people. This is what it tells us as we keep reading in Revelation 21, picking up in verse 2. And John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. This is his desire. This is his dream. And what's what's even more powerful is that that's in line with everything else we read from Scripture up to this point. You see, God has always desired and dreamed to dwell with his people. It has always been at the top of his list. That's why he created in the first place. We can go back to the beginning again in Genesis 3, and we see that it was common for God to walk with Adam and Eve, to be with his people in the cool of the garden. That is what he loved. That's why he created. And after the fall, once sin was ushered in, and a holy God could no longer have that type of dwelling with an unholy people, when Adam and Eve and their descendants were cast out of the garden, it's like God's dream home burned to the ground. And it grieved his heart. And everything else in Scripture, we see this story and this thread of God working in human history to bring that dream back to reality. You see, when God chose the children of Israel and made a covenant with them, he also gave them instructions to build this tabernacle, which would be his dwelling place. And even as the children of Israel would wander around and set up camp, Then when they camped, they would have the tabernacle in the very middle, and there would be three tribes to the north and three to the east and the south and then three to the west. They had always God and his presence in the very midst of his people. And later on, after the conquest, as the children of Israel became a nation, King Solomon built a more permanent dwelling place for God amongst his covenant people with the temple. And just like the tabernacle, when the temple was completed, God's glorious presence, the Shekinah glory, as this cloud came and rushed in and filled the temple, he was truly dwelling with his people. God's presence was there. And everything changed at that first advent that we are celebrating next week. At his birth, Jesus then made his dwelling among us. We're going to spend our time in Advent in the first chapter of John. And verse 14 says that the word Jesus became flesh and tabernacled, made his dwelling among us. We're going to unpack that so much more. But the the, the fact that God wanted to be with his people went so far as to God coming down to our level to be with us. And through Jesus' obedience and humility to death on a cross and his conquering of death at his resurrection now, the New Testament teaches that in Christ Christ, We, the people of God, are now the dwelling place or the temple of God. Not just individually, but together. We are living stones, and as we gather together today, God is in our midst. He dwells with us. And yet we still look for something more, something more complete, something more perfect. And we get that picture in Revelation that finally, in our eternal home, a holy God can truly be with his people without reservation, without need of limit. And the reason is not because God has made himself less. He is still holy. He can still not abide by sin. It's that in Christ, we have been made so much more. We have been made holy. And at the end of Revelation 21, we read that in the new Jerusalem, this new creation, nothing unclean will ever enter into it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So if this too is to be your dream home, If you, too, want to share in God's dream of him dwelling with his people, then you need to be made holy, not through your actions, not through repeating a prayer after me, but through the work of the Lamb, through trusting in Jesus that he has made you holy and that he has written your name in his book of life. Now, John sees a few things in this vision, that drive this point home, that God desires to dwell with his people, that this is the picture that we are given. And probably the most compelling evidence we have is in the lo- the, the, probably the least likely place you would want to look. It's in the measurements of the new Jerusalem. Now, if you're anything like me, you try to read through scripture, you get to, um, you get to this description of the measurements in, 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 of the tabernacle and the measurements of the temple in here, the new Jerusalem. I'm like, I'm going to leave the cubits behind. I'm going to skip all the cubits because what good comes from them? Is there anything rich here? Well, I think that there is. Listen to the description of New Jerusalem here, picking up in verse 15. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia its length and its height were equal he also measured its wall 100 oh, sorry its length and its width and its height are equal there we go so what is this new jerusalem it's huge 12000 stadia is a huge number but the amount is not what's important what's important is that this is a huge cube it's 12000 by 12000 by 12000 which is an odd shape for a city to be don't you think do you know of anything else that was described as a cube I do. I'm going to go back. I'm going to take us all back to one of these boring passages that you most likely skipped over when you read through 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 20, because I probably did too. This is what it says. The inner sanctuary, the holy of holies, the dwelling place of God, was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and guess what? 20 cubits high. What is a cube in Scripture? The holy of holies the dwelling place of God. What is the new Jerusalem? It's the Holy of Holies, the dwelling place of God with his people. This is his dream. This is his home. And that is the picture that we are given in revelation. And it's further displayed in the splendor of the new Jerusalem. As you continue to read past those explanations of cubits, you get to to know that the walls are full of precious gems, that the great gates are made out of pearl, that the streets are made out of gold, and all of this is to show that God's glory is present. Again, referring back to those passages that describe the tabernacle and its construction, there was this levels of holiness. So if you were to enter into the uh, courtyard of the tabernacle, everything would have been overlaid with bronze. And then if you would have stepped further into the holy place, that first sanctuary, everything would have been overlaid with silver. And then if you were lucky enough to be the high priest on one day a year, you could enter the holy of holies. And everything was overlaid with what? With gold. You see, the closer you get, to the presence of God, it's reflected in the more precious of the metal, levels of holiness. So when the new Jerusalem descends, and it's a cube, and it has streets paved with gold, all of this screams to us that God is here in full glory. This is his presence. God's dream home is to dwell with his people. Amen. So what about our dream home? That's God's. What about us? I mean, on earth, I've got quite a list of things that I would like. But our dream home, eternally, is not so much different. In fact, it's just the other side of the coin. Our dream home is to be in God's presence. God wants to be with us, and our eternal fulfillment, everything that we need, is found in our desire to be with him. And this is revealed in what new, the new Jerusalem is. In addition to being God's presence with his people, It is also described as the bride of Christ. This is what is is told us in Revelation 21.2. And then also again in 9, verse 9 and following. That's what I want to remind us of here this morning. Revelation 21.9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. And he spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and the ga- gates 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. On the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Well, once again, we have another example of how in Revelation, John would sometimes hear something described, and then he would turn and look and see something different. In this case, he hears, Behold, a bride adorned for wedding. And he turns and he sees something very different, a huge city cube descending from the sky. (laughs) Very, very different, not what he would anticipate, but both are true. What is this city? What is the bride of Christ? Well, the city has 12 gates that are the 12 tribes of Israel. And what I love, and maybe you picked up on this too, what I love is that these gates are positioned in the exact same way that the tribes were positioned when they camped around the tabernacle. Three to the north, three to the east, three to the south, three to the west. This is God dwelling with his people, and God's people dwelling with God. And the 12 tribes of Israel also signify that in Christ, God stays true to all of his Old Testament promises. He stays true to that covenant that Christ fulfilled. He stays true to all the promises to the prophets that have found their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. It's God's people, even his people in the past. The city also has 12 foundations that are the 12 apostles. And then again, the, the, the number of stadia that that make the dimensions are 12 by 12 by 12. 12 apostles, 12 tribes, the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ is the entire people of God, past, present, and future. God is with his people and we are with our God. And so that is what this symbol of the new Jerusalem is trying to speak to us. And so I hate to break it to you, Because we talk about this all the time, but there is is no literal cubic city of New Jerusalem awaiting you in your future. Or there may be, but that's not the point that this is trying to make. And we talk about it this way all the time. In fact, I was at a youth retreat where there was this youth speaker that thought it would be really cool because of how big this cube was that he could free fall off a building for hours on end. And how neat would that be in heaven? But That's not really the point. But then we also say things like, I can't wait to walk on those streets of gold. But the point isn't to literally walk on streets of gold. The point is that this is God's presence with us. And sometimes we'll say, oh, on those days where I stand before the pearly gates. But the point isn't that there are literally pearly gates to stand before. The point is that we will be with God and he will be with us. The entire point of revelation in this symbolism is not to try to talk about where, but to talk about who. Because our eternal dream home is not a city. It's to be in the presence of God forever. And yes, there may be streets of gold. That would certainly be cool. And there may be gates of pearl, and that would be neat. But that is not the point. That is not the lesson to be learned. However it looks, God's dream is to be with us, and our dream is to be with him. And to be in God's presence is to now have complete and full access to him. This is the way Revelation 21 ends. It says i saw no temple in the city for its temple is the lord god the almighty and the lamb and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of god gives its light and its lamp is the lamb by its light the nations walk and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there so we've learned a lot about what is in this city and how we can understand it now we learn some lessons by what is not there There is no temple. Why? Because there is no need to go to the temple to be with God because the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And they are there everywhere, present in complete glory, power, and splendor. I can't even begin to imagine what that will be like. And there is no sun or moon because there is no need of a sun or a moon because the light of this new creation is God's glory because he has not diminished himself at all in order to be with his people in our eternal dream home. And I can't even begin to imagine glory to that extent. And there is no need to shut the gates of the holy city, that holy of holies. There's no need to limit access to the presence of God because we can always be with him, because Christ has made us holy, because God dwells with his people and we dwell with him. And one of the very real benefits is that we can do something we have never been allowed to do before. On that day, we will be able to see the face of God. Revelation 22 4. The servants of the Lord will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Of course, we can never see God's face before. It's too holy. We are too unholy. It would be too much for us. We would die if we saw God's face right now, but not in our eternal dream home, because there we have been made holy too. And being in God's presence then provides us with everything that we need. I love this. It's been quoted before already in Revelation to give us hope. Revelation 21.4. What happens when God dwells with us and we dwell with him? He will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Church, this is our hope. And you may hear some sermons out there, you may hear some preachers that talk about you have enough faith, God will bless you enough, and you can get rid of these things in this life. And I want to tell you, that is a false promise. As long as we live in this earth, as it stands right now, there's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. There will be mourning, and there will be death. And I've experienced it. And you've experienced it, and it hurts. But the hope that we have, the hope that we do not see, but the hope that we patiently wait for, as Paul's instructed us, is that one day those things will end. And so we don't endure because it's going to be better tomorrow. We endure because it will be better forever. And we wait for that. We wait for the fact that God has shown us beyond any shadow of a doubt that he desires to be with us. And he is creating a place for us even now to dwell with him forever. And at that point, and never to go back, will death, sin, shame, and suffering cease to exist. And Revelation teaches us that not only will that be the case, but that day is coming soon. So church, we have learned a lot over the last 10 weeks. Or at least I hope you've learned a lot. I know we've covered a lot of ground. We have learned about the revelation. Of Jesus Christ. Who he truly is. The lamb that slain. The conquering lion. Of what he has really done. He has overcome everything. Of what he is actually doing right now. He is on the throne of the universe. He is in the middle. Of the church his people. And what we anticipate he will do. Where he will invite us to dwell with him forever. That's revelation. That changes absolutely everything. And this book is not just a book concerned with the future, but with the present. We're reminded of that at the very end, that we need to not only learn these things, but to put them into practice. Behold, says Jesus, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. We don't learn it. We keep it. We obey it. We live like this is true, because it is. Revelation is not just a book concerned with the future, but it is a book that gives us great hope for the future, one that speaks to the struggles of today. And the last words of this series go to the words of Revelation itself, as we have always continued to seek to give it its own voice. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, and the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. God, there's so much that you have done for us, so much that you have promised you will still do for us. I just thank you so much that you are aware of the hard things in our life, that you are aware of the brokenness of this world. You are aware of all of these things, and you have not been idle. You have been at work. You have been at work through your son. You sent him here. You died for us. You rose again. You've paved the way to make us holy. God, I pray that if there's anyone here listening to these words that is unsure if they have received the holiness available through Jesus Christ, that today would be a day in which they simply say yes. They simply accept this gift. They place their trust in you to know that now their eternal dream home has been assured. God, I thank you for the hope that this gives us. And I pray that this hope does not take us with one foot out of this world, but grounds us where we are so that we can live in such a way that celebrates this day, that points other people to you, and that waits patiently for you to come again. We pray this in your name. Amen.